faith is uh, a very practical one and it, it touches every part of our lives. And so, Father, help us to live out practically in the world your calling to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in a short series which uh, called Your Money, and uh, money is a really tricky subject, isn't it? Um, most Australians consider money to be a really intensely personal subject, and it actually has some extra layers of complexity for us as Christians as well. We attach all sorts of emotions to money. Uh, most of us probably wish we had just a little bit more, and I'm sure we break the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet over money more than just about anything else. Uh, we love the dopamine hit of retail therapy, but we might actually regret that we uh, have spent money on some things sometimes. Some of our spending decisions in hindsight might not be quite ideal. And then as Christians, we, we might sometimes have a vague feeling of inadequacy or, or guilt that we're not stewarding our money as well as we think we should be, that maybe we're not more generous uh, or something like that. And then there's the element of faith that is attached to money as well. Jesus had a lot to say about this, but what do we do with our money? How do we treat it from a spiritual point of view? Should we be giving everything to the Lord's work? Um, Paul said that money is the root of all kinds of evil. Should we even save for retirement? Now, that might sound like a really uh, radical and perhaps redundant question, but that was a question we were asking when I was young, sort of in the period just before uh, compulsory superannuation because in my context in Alice Springs as a young adult there were missionaries there who really were living by faith so they were uh, a very challenging example to us and to our lifestyles and and so that sort of question in our ears in Perth today might sound more extreme than it did to us as we were being confronted by these things. Last week we looked at uh, Jesus' teaching on our attitude towards money um, and if you missed that you can pick up the podcast from our website or in the app and we saw that money is spiritual and the, the Bible does teach us to live by faith but it also teaches us to steward our money wisely and today I want to talk about managing your money and and why is this even important in Luke 16 11 Jesus said if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth who will trust you with what is genuine and so it's important for us to uh, steward material things because that can have an impact on eternal things now, I'm not a financial advisor, never have been. I'm a Bible teacher. So what I say this morning, I want to give the caveat, is not financial advice as such, but I do want to give some biblical principles around money. And uh, I have a couple of caveats. First, the Bible has a whole lot to say about money. This was actually going to be more of a topical sermon with verses pulled from all over the place. And as I dug into the Proverbs uh, passage, I realized, well, that's, that's enough for a whole sermon. But I wanted to, to begin with Hebrews. 
So this message is by no means exhaustive. You might think, Alex, what about, what about, what about? And I'd probably say yes. Second, we need to remember that sometimes biblical advice conflicts with worldly advice. So when uh, we were sort of setting up, Andrew and I went and saw a financial advisor and one of their pieces of advice was that we drop or stop our giving so that we could build, build wealth. No! That's not how it works in the kingdom. So uh, it's important that we're acquainted with biblical principles on giving so that we can manage our money according to God's ways. And that's not to say there's not wisdom out there and uh, I would recommend going talking to a financial advisor, just make sure it's someone aligned with your Christian values. So Richard read from Hebrews, keep your life free from the love of money, be satisfied with what you have. And this is the first biblical principle. It sort of touches on what we preached on last week or what, what I preached on last week. But I think it's important that we establish this uh, in our hearts for a start. And that is our attitude. We need to manage our money from a place of contentment. So many uh, of our problems, I think, can derive from a place of discontentment and even envy. And marketing feeds into this, doesn't it? We've all seen it, you know. Uh, you'll be happier, more popular, more secure, more whatever if you buy this product. And you might already have a product like that. Maybe you have the same product. It's just older. You need newer. You need better. You need whatever. You just need another one. And you'll be happier. I've uh, mentioned before that I like board games. And one of the most popular places uh, for, for, that, for buying games is on Kickstarter. Now, if you're not familiar with Kickstarter, it's basically a website where entrepreneurs can go on, um, post, okay, this is what I'm trying to create or make and get backing for it, financial backing. So it can be anything uh, from a business startup, cafes or, or, or so on, to about a toothbrush or, or some te technology gadget. But one of the most popular categories on Kickstarter is actually board games. I... Uh, there's, there's a game I'm interested in and I've sort of gone off Kickstarter, but this game, this, this, this will blow your mind because it's blown mine. I hope it blow, blows your mind or else I'm going to look stupid. But there's a, there's a game on there, Avatar The Last Airbender, the, the, the anime cartoon, yeah, who loves that? So they're putting out a role-playing game based on that. Its funding goal was 60000 Australian dollars. I went and checked it midweek and it was up to $6 million it had been back. So that's how popular some of these things are. And, and that was only a few days into the campaign. Now, here's what happens. People will back these games and you can spend hundreds of dollars on a single game. And then what I find on the games forum frequently is for sale or I haven't actually had a chance to play it. <laughs> but people have this fear of missing out. So they'll back it even though they've got a shelf full of games. In fact, in the gaming community, it's called the shelf of shame or the wall of shame. It's all the games you've bought but haven't played. That's just one example. Now, 
that's my particular hobby. Maybe there's areas that you know of where there's a similar principle. People buy what they don't need because they're afraid of missing out or they think they'll be happier or we just love the click. According to ABC's foreign correspondent, Ghana has a huge problem with charity clothing flooding into the country and winding up in landfill. There's mountains of landfill of discarded clothing and the, the report says in the West, and I quote, we're buying 60% more clothes now than we did 15 years ago, but we're only keeping them for half as long. And a major survey in UK six years ago found one in three young women considered garments old if they had been worn just twice. So it's not just board gamers who have a problem. And the problem is when we click buy or take those items through the checkout, very often we do feel better. For a moment. Just for a moment we get that dopamine hit. You know, dopamine is the hormone that makes us feel good, that makes us feel happy. And marketers know how to exploit it. So if you're feeling a little bit down, it's all the more dangerous because you want to pick me up and, and, you know, we go for the retail therapy. But as we all know, it doesn't last and so like any drug, we need to go find another hit. So how do we keep ourselves free from the love of money? Because actually very often it's not money we want, it's things. If I could have whatever I wanted, I wouldn't need money, right? But money helps us do that and so we love money, we want money so we can get the things we want or be, have the security we want or whatever it is. So how do we move from discontentment to satisfaction as the writer of Hebrews says? Well, in fact, I think part of the thing is that we're not meant to be completely content. Last week we saw that Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. We're meant to be satisfied with what we have. We're meant to be satisfied with the things of this world, but ever striving to go deeper into the things of God. Someone called it a, a holy discontent. I don't have enough of God, I need more of Him. And Hebrews actually locates contentment and freedom from the love of money in our security in Christ. Keep yourself, uh, your life, my version says, free from the love of money, be satisfied with what you have, for He Himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Why? Should we be satisfied with what we have? Because Jesus is our security. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do for me? Now, in that society, they had less consumer goods. I mean, we got massive factories in China and stuff and, and um, clothing factories and whatever that give us every whim. But but in that society, it was probably more around security and food security and so on and status. And the writer says, you don't need to worry about that. We have Jesus. So as simplistic and cliched as it sounds, I really do think that so much of our discontent in this life is because we're too content with our spiritual life. And good money management begins with contentment 
which ironically springs up with a hunger or a discontentment in our spiritual life, a hunger for the things of God rather than the things of this world. Well, okay, so we're all set. We've got our contentment sorted out. We've got a hunger for God. We're not striving for the things of the world. What next? Well, not loving money doesn't mean that we ignore money and Richard read out Proverbs 27 verses 23 to 27 before, be sure you know the condition of your flocks and so on. Now, of course, this was written into a rural subsistence society. Your wealth was tied up in your land, in your uh, cattle and sheep and, and, and crops, so in the pro productivity of your land. Uh, and so we need to unpack that in the 21st century urban setting. So the proverb begins by saying, take stock or know the condition of your flocks and give careful attention to your herds. So what does that mean? Well, at a basic level for us, it might mean asking how is your bank account doing? And I don't mean anything more than that really. No secret hidden messages there. If you're in business or have investments, do you know how your sources of income are going? What about your credit card debt? One area that apparently trips up Australians is that, uh, and, and apparently this can cost us thousands of dollars over the long term, is that a lot of Australians don't know how many superannuation funds they have. I know the government's making moves to fix that, but historically there's a lot of sort of dormant super funds out there gobbling up fees uh, instead of feeding our super. And consolidating that can save you thousands in the long run. And so this, this first part of this proverb is actually simply a, what it says, taking stock of our finances and assets so that you can plan accordingly and, and take the next steps. So first biblical principle is take stock of your finances and assets and so on. And then the proverb goes on and says, for wealth is not forever, not even a crown lasts for all time. Now that sounds a bit ominous, but it hardly needs interpreting, I think. I think we're all aware, if we've been alive and uh, for, for very long, uh, we're aware of how volatile the economy can be. So in my time I've seen a number of crashes and corrections. Uh, when I was in my 20s, interest rates were up around, I think, uh, for home loans was up around 18%. I didn't have a home loan. I had a savings account at 15%. That was fantastic. Not so great if you were paying off loans. Some of you will remember the recession we had to have under Paul Keating in the 90s. There was the dot-com collapse of 2001, the global financial crisis of 2008 and various ones in between. Now we sailed through the global financial crisis as we have through the pandemic economically by racking up debt for our grandchildren. You're welcome, kids. And we could go on. The economy is volatile. Things go wrong. Now, this doesn't mean that we should live in a state of fear. And in fact, fear can be 
as bad as ignorance, uh, going back to the previous verse, be, because like Jesus told a parable where a master gave money to each of his servants to invest and one of them just buried it in the backyard because he was afraid. And as a result, that was taken off him. He lost even basic opportunities. We don't want to live in a state of fear. In the late 1990s, Andrea and I were considering buying a home. Now, at the time, we lived in and were ministering in Mosman Park and uh, as, as young couple, there was no way we could afford to buy in Mosman Park. The real estate had just shot up in that part of Perth uh, astronomically. And so we looked at a couple of other options. One of the options we actually looked at was in Ellenbrook, where we are now. But that was just like... You know, take a water skin and a packed lunch to get to Ellenbrook. It was like we couldn't imagine it. And so, look, we ended up putting it off. A few years later, we did buy a home in Ellenbrook for about three times as much as we would have bought it if we'd bought it at the time we were initially looking. We were probably a bit overly cautious. Nevertheless, this proverb does urge us to not count on conditions staying favourable. Things will go wrong. We shouldn't fear, but we should manage our finances realistically. Australia has some of the highest personal debt in the world, apparently. According to finder.com.au, Australians collectively owe $2 trillion, which is how much our government, Australian governments from federal down to local owe collectively as well. That's a lot of debt. Now apparently for personal debt, most of it is so-called good debt. I was expecting to see a lot of credit card debt and stuff. Most of it is investments and homes and that sort of thing. So that's good. But the reality is even good debt carries risks. And if we make an investment when times are booming, and, and count our, our chickens based on that, then we can get into trouble. And this is what happened uh, when the last mining boom ended. A lot of people were leaving jobs to go uh, work up northwest, if you remember that, and then the boom ended, a lot of people were laid off and suddenly find themselves with homes or with lifestyles they simply couldn't afford. They were over-leveraged because they hadn't taken into account... Mm, WA's a bit of a boom and bust cycle, isn't it? Maybe this won't go on forever. It was only a few years ago that home prices plummeted in Perth and a lot of people, including some of my friends, found themselves with mortgages that were bigger than the value of their home. Now, they still had a home, and I'm not saying they did the wrong thing in, in investing in a home, but we can't count on things going well all the time. And perhaps the problem is that sometimes, not always, but sometimes we're not making a decision from a place of contentment. Buying a home, I think, is a good thing to do. I hated renting. But how big a home do we actually need? What sort of car do we actually need? Are we making these decisions from a place of contentment or a place of envy? The writer then in verses 25 to 26, I had to read this a few times, talks about hay being removed and lambs and goat's milk and 
feeding your servants. I'm like, what is he talking about? A bit removed from us in the city. Uh, some of you have lived on the land and you probably have a bit better idea of what's going on. But basically, the writer is talking about managing the land, um, diversifying your investment. It's a mixed farming situation. You plant seed, you grow crops, gather them in, you've got food, you've got um, hay for your cattle, you've got grain to sell. You grow hay in season so you can feed your lambs and goats, which will feed your household out of season. In other words, manage your money, manage your wealth wisely and diversify if you can. Now, for some, this is going to be more difficult because you're on a, a pension or more or less living hand to mouth. And in that case, it probably is the leaning into the faith side of the equation. You're probably very adept at managing what you have if you don't have much. But many of us, I think, and I might just be making a confession here, uh, but I'm sure I'm not the only one. Many of us find it a challenge simply because we don't have good financial literacy. Maybe we were never taught about money or uh, we're just not interested, frankly. It does take a little bit more discipline than we might like. It leaves us feeling uh, our insecurities at all sorts of levels exposed. But there are simple things we can do, like budgeting, like reducing our debt level, like simplifying our lifestyle and living within our means, shopping around for a better deal, building up an emergency fund, making sure we have a basic appropriate level of insurance and getting educated about money. We don't have to become financial gurus uh, I think some people are called to that. I think most of us aren't. Most of us are just called steward your money wisely, this, this, uh, these finances God has given you. But there are plenty of good, accessible sources out there. And, you know, for most of us, ignorance really isn't an excuse. So as I was preparing this, if you're on Facebook, you might have seen it. I asked people uh, on Facebook for recommendations about books they found helpful uh, for educating themselves about money. Nearly everyone said The Barefoot Investor, not surprisingly. But there were other recommendations as well and if you've got the notes open you'll probably see them there. I've also put them on a blog post on our website. I haven't read most of those so they're not personal recommendations but they were Christians and pastors and stuff giving me those recommendations. Last week I said that money is a spiritual issue but that doesn't mean that like younger me did that we should over spiritualize it. I'm accountable to Christ for the money I have and uh, for my stewardship of the finances uh, and that's one way that I serve Christ. I think that ultimately money is an issue of lordship. Uh, we think of it as my money, but if Jesus is Lord, then I have to ask myself, have I submitted everything to him? And that includes my finances. Christ who bought me at the cost of his own life so that now my life and everything in it is his. 
and when we understand this and these principles, we uh, can approach our finances, but also life in general, goes far beyond finances, from a position of contentment and of stewardship for him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will, first and foremost, teach us contentment in Christ. And Father, that if we are feeling a bit discontent with the things of this life, that maybe we'd like to jazz it up a little bit materially or financially or something, Father, I pray that you will just impress on us uh, and help us to convert that to a hunger for Christ, for the things of God. We want to jazz up our spiritual lives. But at the same time, may we not neglect the finances that you've entrusted to us. May we use them wisely for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, team.